Welcome to Idaho Speaks, Idaho's conservative talk show. My name is Ed Bejarana. I created Idaho Speaks to give voters access to conservative ideas. Liberal media and progressive activists are working hard to change Idaho into the next California or New York. Please share these episodes with friends and family, and let's keep Idaho, Idaho. Today's episode is supported in part by F1 for Help. They're my go-to computer repair techs. When anyone asks for computer help, I refer them to Joe at F1 for Help. Everyone I've ever referred to Joe has been very happy with the help. For all your computer repair needs, call Joe with F1 for Help at 208-687-0183. Tell Joe thank you for supporting Idaho Speak. Welcome to Idaho Speaks. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to 2023. You know, <laughs> the big joke was, you know, 2022 was just a repeat of 2020. It was just part two. And 2020 was just kind of one of those years that, oh my goodness, you wish it would just stop and go away. Maybe, maybe we can even wish that it was just a bad dream. Maybe, maybe it didn't really happen. Maybe what we've got is we, we've got this mass psychosis where the government didn't really shut us down. We, we didn't have to have these masks that we wore everywhere. We, we didn't lock ourselves in our domicile for weeks and months on end. The reality is we did. We, we did do that. There was fear factor in play here. As we went into it, and I've been very open about this with my uh, comorbidities. I, I uh, they took the shot. Um, I, I self-quarantined. I couldn't wear a mask with my particular medical condition. But I figured some kind of therapeutic is better than nothing. Now, that said, I don't think this will get me in trouble. I'll ask my guest here in just a moment. I did stock up on those unapproved therapeutics just in case, because I knew I couldn't get them locally. I won't say where I shopped from them, but I did have those other things, <clears throat> ivermectin, um, that, that weren't being allowed by our regular physicians. So, I, you know, I think really what I would classify myself as a prepper. Well, sort of. I mean, I live in town. How much of a prepper can I be if I don't really live on a redoubt? But, but, but bear with me here for just a moment. Follow, follow me on this logic, because it it pertains directly to the conversation we're going to have today. As a prepper, and I, I'm using these air quotes, you can't see them because it's radio, but I, as a prepper, I, I, I kind of have a, um, a DIY, a do-it-yourself attitude. I have a self-reliant attitude. And I, I think as a good Republican, as a conservative, as a, as a believer of Reagan and, and Lincoln and and, and going back to what made our nation amazing, it, it's the self-reliance, uh, the self-determination, the, the individual responsibility. I take upon myself the consequences and, and benefits of my decisions, and I make my decisions. But that's because I do a bunch of research. If I don't have good data, I can't make good decisions. And, and thus, uh, we as a people, we struggle with the idea of being able to make the best decision for ourselves and our family. And, and we thirst for knowledge. 
but it's being well it's being withheld from us it's being it's being held back and i created idaho speaks because google the world's largest encyclopedic access to knowledge is is censoring the data it's limiting the access to information it's just try to do a search for ivermectin and google poisons the water with the results they want you to see or or try to find out side effects of covid and Google will give you the results they want you to see. On the other side of the equation, if you happen to be a, a medical doctor with expertise and, and you, you ascribe a line of thinking that goes counter to what Google believes, then they censor you directly. They shut you down. They limit your ability to speak. Worse yet, as we're going to learn from today's guest, they threaten you professionally. They they threaten your license. They threaten your career. They do anything that they can to silence you. We live in this scary world, and that's why I, I, I'm hopeful for 2023. Getting past 2021, 20, 22, we've kind of had this collective awakening, I feel. I feel we've had this collective awakening. And 2023 is our opportunity to take back the America that our founding fathers built and left for us. And it's up to us. You know, Reagan said that we're never more than one generation away from socialism. And he also said that uh, you can vote your way into socialism, but unfortunately you have to fight your way out. And in my lifetime and my grandchildren's lifetime, I'd, I'd really like to avoid the fight if we can right now. And with me in studio today, I have Dr. Retina Moon, who is a pediatrician here in Washington, and she's an advocate for people getting their decisions from real information. Dr. Moon, thank you so much for coming on the program today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So you've been, you've been in the public eye. You've, uh, you've kind of bucked the system. You've gone against the, I don't know, the kingmakers, the masters, the, the whatever you want to call them, the censors. And you, you have fought against many, if not all, of the actions that the government has taken. Let, let's talk first about you. When, when did you get in medicine? Why did you get in medicine? Tell us a little bit about Dr. Moon. Yeah, I've, I've practiced as a pediatrician for well over 20 years now, and never in a million years thought that, you know, just like many listeners, I'm sure, thought that we would find ourselves in the situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, this last few years has seen us censored as physicians. We've absolutely had our voices silenced. And it's, it's really been a time where I think uh, as a physician, one has to decide, do you step up and speak out or do you stay silent and watch this increasing, honestly, I will call it a police state descend on all of us. And I think we all need to speak out in whatever capacity we have. My capacity happens to be that of a pediatrician. You have another perspective. If I can bring this in, you know, doing some research about you, your family uh, is not originally from America. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, thank you. So I, I was born here in the Northwest uh, to parents who fled from communism. So they fled from behind the Iron Curtain, uh, which was the name for really for the prison wall that kept people walled in 
in many of the Eastern European countries. So um, my, my background is a little unique. My dad was actually born in Buenos Aires and then um, ultimately back behind the Iron Curtain, he met my mom who was born in Prague and together they, they fled. So it was the, really the classic American story, right? Fresh immigrants coming to America for freedom, for the opportunity to take part in the American dream, which, you know, at that point in time, as immigrants, they were vetted. They spent some time after they escaped in Vienna and applied to different countries, much like you would apply to college or or for a job. So they applied to Canada, they applied to America, they applied to Australia. And they had to show that they would not be a burden on society, that they would assimilate here in America. And and they honestly did just that. I grew up fully understanding as a young child how lucky we were, how lucky we were to live in a nation where we had freedom. And I almost get a little choked up just talking about it because it's uh, it's been taken from us. We've had chunks of our freedom taken from us this last number of years. And we don't just get that back uh, without wanting it back and without um, speaking out. No, and, and I think so many of millennials and, and what are they, Gen Zers, and what's the newest generation? I just saw the name. It doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah. the, the, they don't have any frame of reference. You know, my, my parent, my dad came from Mexico. His first of 12 brothers and sisters born in America. And every one of my uncles worked their entire young adult lives to become an American. And, and in their minds, that, that was something to aspire to become because of what they came from. Yeah. And, and I don't think kids have that perspective today. Yeah, they, they don't. And, you know, it's because we've had it so good for so long. You know, it's not their fault. They, you, you experience things usually not from reading it in a book, but from your life, right? And so I, I actually have uh, the memory of traveling into the former Czechoslovakia while it was still under communism. Uh, for the first time as an 11-year-old child, we, my mom took us in to see relatives because when my parents came here, they had no one here. They were the first in their family. They had a dollar in their pocket, and that was it. And so all the family stayed back behind. And so as an 11-year-old, I remember that I still can, if I close my eyes, I can still hear and smell everything with that train as we pulled up to the border. I remember the watchtowers the guards with their submachine guns, the dogs. I mean, they all boarded the train searching passengers for, you know, something that they might be bringing in that they weren't allowed. And and we had American passports at that point. My mom was an American too. And of course we were uh, having been born here. Um, so we had this special privilege. They left us alone. They were, you know, very like, oh, you have an American passport. But I was this little 11-year-old kid who spoke Czech, and I could hear them berating the people in the compartment next to ours on the train. And what had they done? They had brought a couple extra bars of chocolate back from Germany, and that was not allowed. So, you know, my relatives were very much prisoners in their country. They really weren't allowed to travel freely, not even within the nation. Um, as we went to visit my grandparents, um, and we went from village to vi village to see other uh, uh, relatives. We had to 
to follow the rules of the communist government, just like the citizens did, which was we had to show our papers. We had to show as we went from village to village and check in with a police station and have permission to go uh, very short distances to visit relatives. So very, very controlled. And, and, you know, it doesn't take much to imagine the horrors of that given today's technology and how well we can be controlled now compared to how, how well they were already able to control those citizens, even without that technology back in those days. And we might touch on medical passports, but uh, yeah. when did you decide that you wanted to become a doctor? You know, it was, it's funny that you asked that. I, I decided um, very seriously about becoming a physician in ninth, ninth grade. And I remember that we had to write a paper on, you know, what your ultimate career would be. And I'm sure, you know, many people write a paper and then go different paths, go down different paths. But I wrote a paper on becoming a pediatrician and I was pretty, pretty intent and, um, and obviously was able to accomplish that. So why? Let me, let me qualify this question because I, I think some folks are going to say, wait, what, why would you would ask a doctor? Why yeah. it's important to, to the yeah. topic today, but why a pediatrician specifically? You know, I think it, it honestly boils down to the fact that I just, I really, that was just what drew me uh, kids working with kids and helping them, helping them have productive lives, you know, kids who have their entire life still ahead of them. And the idea that I could help them in some small way, to accomplish what they wanted in terms of goals and in terms of uh, just living a happy life was was something that was important to me. So let me bring us up to current time here because we've just gone through a period where two and a half years, our kids have been uh, shut out of school, locked in, uh, hidden behind a mask. What's the current status as a pediatrician? What's the current status of our children in America? Our kids are in really rough shape. They're very rough shape. Um, I actually would back us up a little bit, even prior to the pandemic. So I, I, I very much, as I look back on what's happened the last three years, um, can see that social media was used very much for evil in terms of, of the harm that it's done to our kids. So um, I began to see a big change in our nation's children's mental health, kind of in the probably around 2013, 2014, in that time period, just, just beyond the time when this, the smartphones rolled out. And we began to see all these kids coming in with mental health issues, you know, suicidal, anxious, depressed, cutting, you know, really being affected by what was happening with social media, with bullies coming home with them 24-7, with these really inappropriate apps that they were listening to. And so we already had a mental health crisis before this pandemic rolled out. And then the lockdowns, the masking, the social isolation that we subjected our children to just put our nation's kids, I would say, over a cliff. You know, I, I got to the point in my office where I was easily seeing six or seven, you know, teens and preteens a day that were suicidal and depressed and having profound mental health issues. And when I, when I look back and I contrast that to when I first started practice, which was in the late 1990s, I, in the late 1990s, our kids were healthy. I had, I had no idea who my local child psychiatrist even was because I maybe referred one or two kids a year, a year 
to see a child psychiatrist and forward to now where literally you can refer a number of them. And I was referring a number, you know, three, four, five a week to see mental health um, services, to try to get them into the system, to provide them with some counseling and, and with mental health care. So we have just watched this generation literally fall off a cliff in terms of mental health. What has been the medical profession's reaction or action, I guess really is the more important, what, what sort of action is the medical profession taking towards the influence of social media, the, the addictive properties of the applications that are out there? Yeah, in my opinion, not, not enough, certainly. I think what I, what I hear from colleagues, and, and I think they're well-intentioned, but I personally think in many cases this is misguided um, logic, and that's that, uh, you know, we need more psychiatrists. We need more mental health care. We need more and more and more. And I don't, I don't disagree with that. But to me, the, you have to cut the pipeline. Like, you have to cut the source of what is causing all of this trouble. Why are our children so troubled now? And I think it's not that hard to see what's happening. Um, again, with these inappropriate apps and with them constantly glued to the technology that they're glued to. Um, I actually would give you an example, which is that um, recently I was doing some fill-in work at some clinics uh, here in the Northwest. And I moved from the, the city where I've practiced for really most, most of my career has been in Spokane. And I moved from that city where I was seeing all these mental health effects on our nation's children and seeing the harm to a very small town uh, where I had a completely different perspective. This little small town, for the most part, had kids coming in to the office that were bright-eyed and they were happy. And it was like a, it was like a step back in time and very little anxiety. I'm not saying it wasn't there, but very little in comparison to, to the bigger city of Spokane. And I was, you know, of course I was talking with them and trying to figure out what was different and it's not hard to figure out. They don't have the gadgets in their hand as much. They were involved with 4-H. Kids were telling me about the steer that they're raising for their, their project, uh, telling me about the wood they were chopping with their dad, about how they were out roaming around some acreage and just, just being free and playing. Our kids need more free time. They need uh, play dates that are not set up by parents, that are not, you know, organized. They need, they need free play. And they need to just be left alone and be, be out there playing with a stick and a stream and a frog. I mean, literally, they need mm. to be out there having a good time. And instead, we have subjected them to, uh, you know, in many cases, in many areas, continued masking, continued social distancing, and continued inappropriate use of this, this really this evil that is social media. Wow. You know, you, you just brought back a memory. When I was um, fifth, fifth, sixth grade age level, um, we moved to a, a country town, Gilroy, California. And uh, one of the funnest things to do in the summertime was slide down the mountain on cardboard. Yeah. Oh, that was just so much fun. It just takes a box, right? I yeah. mean, the box that the toy came in. And I remember as a kid, we were the streetlights come home when the streetlights come on generation, right? Yep. We just, we roamed free. And I remember one day, I, I, my mom actually, she just said, well, where have you guys been? I said, you know, we've been over on Snake Hill. And she just kind of looked at me and she's like, 
Snake Hill? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, there's snakes. That's fine. <laughs> and and there were there were snakes that would be out sunning themselves, and we'd just sort of step over them and and play. And of course, they weren't you know scary venomous snakes. But we have become a society that uh, overemphasizes this idea that children have to be safe constantly. And they can never, you know, step over a snake or like in our case, we would actually to get to Snake Hill have to to go through the edge of a pasture that had a bull in it. So we would all just sort of watch to see where the bull was and then run between the the fencing really quickly so we could get to where we wanted to go. You know, our kids are so restricted now in many areas that they really just don't have that ability to just figure things out and to learn from their mistakes and to, you know, to live to live their lives and to and to be happy people. So I've seen honestly the destruction of our nation's mental health. If I compare 1990s to to now, our kids are not healthy. Wow. What do you feel has been the COVID impact on children's health? You know, as as this virus first rolled out, I think some of you, some of the listeners may not have been worried, but I think the majority of us were quite alarmed. You know, we were looking at videos that looked terrifying and and uh, we were quite alarmed about what this meant for all of our health and i can tell you i was as a pediatrician i get coughed on and sneezed on and all sorts of things you probably don't want to hear about happen to me every day and you know i was i i thought this is it you know this is some horrible virus and i'm going to be facing it head on uh as we all were worried um and i'm not trying to downplay this virus it has been clearly a very, very awful experience for, for many adults. Um, but our nation's kids were spared, and we we're very thankful for that. You know, statistically, the chance of your child dying from COVID is essentially zero, zero percent. And so as we had that data come out in the first few months of this pandemic, as the infection fatality rate rolled out, and as it became increasingly clear that there were differences in terms of the infection fatality rate from one age group to another, and that our children were essentially spared. I'm looking at the data thinking, why are we still doing this to our children? Why are they masked? Why are they, why are we keeping them from school? Why are we having them hole up at home? These are young kids who, for the most part, don't understand what a virus is. They haven't been taught that yet. And so here they are fearful of this thing that they can't see, they can't feel, they can't taste, they don't know what it is, living in fear. So I, I began to see kids coming into my office that were literally shaking in front of me. And as I, as I asked them, you know, how can I help you? They would tell me, I'm just so anxious, I can't get over my anxiety. And I would talk to them more and they would, they would share that they're so anxious about, you know, catching this virus that they basically have a 0% chance of dying from, but they don't know that. And many of them had actually shared with me that they hadn't even left their houses. And like, this is like well into like a year into the pandemic now, had not even left their house because they were afraid they would catch this from their backyard. Or, you know, the, the public health messaging was not there. It was not there to reassure people. It was there to create fear. And fear, as we know now, and, and I think began to increasingly realize fear is something that is used to take away our freedom. 
And it very much took away our freedom. We go back to the 30s and the way Germany erected that iron curtain that your parents were raised behind. They used fear. Yes. They, they used uh, uh, communication tactics that were dishonest and, and secretive. They, they, they censored yeah. what the professionals like you were allowed to say. Yeah, they used propaganda, and that's what we're seeing. And I saw propaganda for the first time as an 11-year-old child behind the Iron Curtain. I, I watched it playing out in my, my relatives' everyday lives. Uh, when I when I was there visiting them, and we see propaganda here now. Once you've seen it, you know what it is. Yeah, and you I've, know what it looks like. You know what it looks like. Yeah. And my mom, so my mom is a happy American who is now in her, you know, in her 80s and has lived the majority of her life here in America. Uh, but when she was in high school, before she fled from communism, they were they were all taught. They took mandatory classes on how to take down a nation like America. And the, the foundation of doing that, there were very set foundational, um, uh, you know, principles that they were taught, caused division in society, you know, us versus them in some way. So in this case, you know, you can see it playing out here in America with the division that we've seen. Uh, destroy the family and the foundation of a family. Uh, cause chaos and lawlessness. Absolutely bring in fear. Fear is paramount because if you don't have fear, people won't give up their freedom as readily. Uh, doing things for the common good. It's, it's, you have to do this to save somebody else. And again, I'm not saying this, this virus absolutely hurt some people and killed some people. Not disputing that in the least. This is a nasty virus for some people. But what we needed to do increasingly looking at data was to let our children who had a 0% risk get sick with this virus to help build up our herd immunity. That ends up protecting all of us in the end. The more people have had a virus, the less likely you are to get it from them. And, you know, when we look at how Sweden handled things, for example, where they were much less restricted, they opened their doors, they did, you know, they did the opposite really in many ways of what happened in our nation. Their outcome was was different and was was very good um, comparatively. So. So those, those, those foundations of how to destroy a nation like ours have been there for decades. And of course, my mom didn't come here to hurt our nation. She loves being an American, but, but those foundations were there. And this has been in play for a very long time. And uh, we're seeing it play out now with the addition of social media and the technology that we have and the, the things that couldn't have been foreseen decades ago. So now the shot that the government mandated, especially for children. I mean, they, they, they actually made it a condition of attendance when we went back to school that the kids had to take the COVID shot. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you as a pediatrician have seen from the effects of this mRNA uh, technology? Yeah, if it's okay, let me let me tell you a bit more of my background with regard to vaccines. And so, you know, I know some of our listeners or many of our listeners are, are folks that may may not have vaccinated at all in the past, and and that's fine. I I believe that that is the decision that every individual has to make. Uh, I personally have supported traditional childhood vaccines for for my whole career, so I'm sure I will be labeled as being anti-vax, and that's 
that's laughable because I have done nothing but support childhood vaccines for my entire career. Uh, that said, I think it's really important that the listener understand that this mRNA vaccine product is completely different than a traditional childhood vaccine in the sense of how it is made and what what outcome it has. So it's a completely new novel type of therapy, okay? And it's it's very important because they have put it into the bucket of vaccines, but they've actually had to change the definition of vaccine to make it fit that bucket because it is not a traditional vaccine. So it, it really falls best into uh, something that would be described as a genetic therapy product or a genetic product. It's made using mRNA, which is a type of genetic material. And um, at its outset, when it rolled out, you know, I, like everyone else, was like, oh, this is, it's kind of slick that they created this, you know, but of course, one must be skeptical. And the first questions are, well, I hope it doesn't have some issues, right? And as you begin to sit and think about it, and you begin to critically think about what kind of issues it could have, there is a long laundry list of things that, that one has to worry about. Um, we all wanted this to work. There's not anyone, I think, in our nation or in this world that didn't want some quick cure for this COVID-19 virus that descended on us. Uh, unfortunately, this is not proven to be it. And um, so to, to answer your question, what have I seen? Um, I have seen increasing concerns with our safety signals that are in place. So we have we have historically had platforms in place that when a new product is launched into a community uh, that people can notify the regulatory agencies and the, the people who are controlling that new product with any concerns. So if someone takes a, a shot on day one and on day three, they have a problem, that person can report that the problem happened. And if they see too many problems and that would give them an idea that, that something is wrong. I personally have seen that system work. When I first started my practice in the late 1990s, they had just launched a new vaccine called the rotavirus vaccine. And they launched it for a very short period of time. And then they began to see problems. The safety signals began to go off across the nation using these platforms like VARES and V, well, actually VSAFE, I don't think existed then, but VARES or similar platforms. And the safety signals began to go off. And by that, I mean, there were 15, I don't mean 15,000, there were 15, one, five cases of a temporary bowel obstruction that they thought was related to the rotavirus vaccine. And those cases were, in, and this was nationwide, those cases were enough for the CDC to recommend suspending use of the product until more investigations were done. That's what happened. I was a new pediatrician in practice. We were asked to stop using the, the rotavirus vaccine. They did further investigations, and by the time all the studies were done, there were slightly more than 100 cases nationwide, and the product was pulled because of concern that this rotavirus vaccine had caused those 100 cases, plus or minus, of, of this temporary bowel obstruction. Forward now to COVID vaccine, we have safety signals that are alarming like crazy. I mean, we have tens of thousands of reports, and we're being told that we just have to say the word safe and effective. There's nothing to see here. There's nothing to discuss. There's nothing to debate. And that 
Just move along. Just say the word safe and effective. It is such an egregious difference between what happened in the 1990s when things were working much better, in my opinion, to today when we are not seeing the system work in a way that makes any logical sense at all and is just censoring and silencing physicians with concerns. You know, and it, it's interesting. So these are our children. Now, I, I didn't have children of my own. I married a woman who had children, and they, they are my kids. And there's nothing I wouldn't do to protect them and stand in front of a bullet to, to save these kids. They're grown and married now, but um, when they were kids... I, there's nothing I wouldn't do to keep them safe. And we talk about this as a genetic programming technology for the vaccine or the therapeutic for COVID. Yet I, you know, I just went to Super One. I went to the grocery store the other day to pick up a, a couple of onions and bell peppers. I wanted to do some, some fajitas for my wife. And, and in the produce section, it, there's kind of like the parting of the Red Sea. There's the GMO side, the, the genetically modified food side. It's got antibiotics and, and, and genet genetic modifications to make those nice big red tomatoes. And then there's the organic side. And yeah, over the decades, I've watched that organic section just grow and grow and grow. It, it seems like the, the very people who are pushing for the COVID-19 vaccine, the, the genetic modification therapeutic drug are the same people that are against antibiotics and chickens and genetically modified tomatoes and, and corn seeds that are modified for output. How do, how do we square this? Exact same people, essentially the same technology. On one hand, they completely reject it. On the other hand, they tell our physicians, you have to lie and say, say it's safe and effective. Yeah, I have, I have two answers to that. One is fear. Fear drives this. And two, propaganda. Those are the, and really three, I guess, censoring and silencing, right? Because I, as I look at this as a physician, as a pediatrician, my job is to do no harm to the patients that I care yeah, for. That's the As best oath. I can. That's right. my Hippocratic oath, Right. right? So I look at this and I look at the statistics. My average patient, my, my, my pediatric patient, has a statistically 0% chance of death from COVID. Okay, I'm not saying it's absolute zero. Nothing in life is absolute zero. But it's statistically 0%. Now, could your child be hospitalized for COVID? Yeah, it could happen just like with any other respiratory illness, the flu, human metanumovirus, RSV. You know, it could happen that they're hospitalized. But... There is nothing that says that this vaccine, if injected into a child, is going to prevent a hospitalization or any of those things because they're so extraordinarily rare. So I began to see many, many children. I saw hundreds of children, literally, over the course of the last few years with COVID. And I had, I think, one that went to the emergency room. That's just been my experience, okay? Um, so I need to make sure that I cause those children no harm that they have a statistically 0% chance of death from this. We know from what the CDC director has told us, but we knew it before, that this doesn't stop infection. The, the, the vaccine does not stop infection, and it does not stop the spread of the illness, right? The kids are going to get it anyway. So, so what am I doing to help a child 
that has a 0% chance of death from this if I'm not stopping them from getting this infection and I'm not stopping them. Like, like they makes no sense, right? So why give them the risk of the product? What is the risk? We know increasingly over time that the risk is large for some children, like huge for some children, right? If you have the bad luck of having something happen to you, it is much more likely to occur uh, than the 0% risk of the infection itself, right? So I, I think I said that poorly. Um, what I, I think the best way to say this is the best way to avoid an adverse reaction from this vaccine product is to not take it, okay? That's the best answer. So, so let me ask the question, what are the adverse side effects children can suffer from the COVID vaccine? Yeah, so myocarditis is a large one. It's not the only one, but it's a large one. So myocarditis means inflammation of the heart. Uh, myocarditis is serious for many children. Some have to be hospitalized for it, many in the ICU if they are hospitalized. Uh, having inflammation of your heart is highly concerning because when your heart is inflamed, that can affect the electrical conduct or the electrical impulses that move through your heart to have it beat. Uh, and over time, that inflammation can lead to scarring. If you have scarring of your heart, there is a potential that down the road, you may have an arrhythmia. So a rhythm disturbance of your heart that can in some cases lead to a sudden cardiac death. Again, these are children with their entire life still left before them to live. So we want them to have the healthiest heart possible. Um, now, it is true, you can certainly get myocarditis from a virus. There are other viruses that cause myocarditis. They um, absolutely can. But I've practiced for over 20 years, and I, if I think really long and hard, can come up with two and possibly three cases that I've seen in my entire 20 plus year career of kids with myocarditis from a virus. It's very, very rare. Uh, so somewhere along the line of, you know, just a few per million, okay? Since the launch of this COVID-19 vaccine, I personally have direct knowledge of way too many cases of myocarditis. There's been a clear increase in myocarditis that seems very strongly to be related to the timing of having just received this vaccine product. Now, that should be investigated, right? We should not be silencing people who are seeing this. The data is showing it. We're physically seeing it in our patients, and yet we're silenced. We have just rolled out a brand new novel type of vaccine into our nation's kids. How can you possibly silence? How can you possibly silence the very people that are telling you that something is wrong? The data is screaming it. We are telling you we're seeing it. I'm not saying that every child that has taken this is going to be harmed by this. I Obviously, that's, you know, I pray that's not the case. The reality is we just don't know what these numbers are. Now, other nations have looked at these numbers with their data and their scientists, and they've actually removed this from use in pediatric patients in other very sensible nations around the country. And yet here in America, we've put it on the childhood traditional vaccine schedule or the, the, I guess, the vaccine schedule, and in many cases, we're mandating it. You know, how, how wrong, this is just so egregiously wrong. I don't even have any other way to describe it. So, so let's talk about, because I know some people are listening and, and they're just in total disbelief. 
um, you know, go back to Marx and, and Gerber. They, they talked about tell a big enough lie loud enough and people will believe you. In fact, they'll get to the point where the, the obvious and the simple answer just become too far-fetched to believe. So, so we've heard about doctors being uh, threatened and, and prevented from giving scientific data. We, we got politicians in D.C., that argue the science is settled, the science is settled, that we've been hearing that on, on climate change and COVID. We've been hearing this for decades now, that we gotta, we gotta believe the science, we gotta believe the scientists. And I'm sitting here uh, two feet away from a scientist who, who studied for decades to receive your, your medical doctorate degree. Uh, and, and you came out publicly and stated what you just shared with us, that there are risks that are way above the safety standards that our medical profession has ever allowed for the use of a vaccine, going back to like the rotavirus, your example, with 15 cases prompted a national response. Give the listeners a perspective of what you, a scientist, a doctor, have undergone with regards to censorship. I don't even know that I have words to describe what I've seen. It's just, it is so horrific. How can you possibly silence people who have concerns? Uh, my analogy is that of a pilot. Pretend like you're getting on a plane and the pilot of the plane is standing right there and says, you know, I'm not really sure that the engine is solid and the landing gear is kind of wonky. Like, I'm just not sure we should be flying this plane. Is the answer to pull the pilot off the plane and fire them and, and take away their license? Of course not. No one would in their right mind would board that plane and get on it. But here we are with the fear and the propaganda and the censorship. And you are doing the same thing to physicians who are speaking out. It's like our voices are not being heard. Now, I want to be crystal clear with the listener that Despite the fact that I have been supportive of traditional childhood vaccines for my entire career, and, you know, despite the fact that many of us took this vaccine product, many people did, and we all have family, we all have friends who took this because we trusted the system. I actually had the benefit of time before this launched out into the pediatric world. I had the benefit of seeing data released on adults at that point before it was even offered to children. And so I have done nothing but have my best informed consent discussions with parents who have asked me about the COVID-19 vaccine for their children. I've given them their, my best knowledge of, of the concerns, the risks and benefits. And I personally have never ordered the COVID-19 vaccine for any children. So I have not ever even, honestly didn't even help, I've never even held a box of the product until a few months ago when I went looking for the package insert that, that I've shown in some of my talks. And I went only looking for a package insert because I um, had been told it was blank. And that's what I found. I found a blank package insert when I finally got a hold of a, a box to look at. This, the idea that we have been censored to the point of being unable to give parents our best opinions, in many cases, uh, our professional opinion is is terrifying. And to give you some concrete examples of what has happened to me personally, I've, again, I don't order this product. When I've worked in clinics, I've been very clear that I won't order it. 
if it's available in the clinic, I don't stop people from giving it to their children. I can't stop them. I'm not going to stop them. But if a parent asks me my professional opinion, here's a shocker. I will give them my professional opinion. My professional opinion is based on the current data and everything I know with regard to science. I have then had some parents report me. Parents who have asked me for my professional opinion and I've given it to them have then reported me and asked for me to be fired for having given it to them. Now, again, no one is forcing them to do anything. I'm not forcing them to not give it. I'm not forcing them to give it. Like, right? This is just my opinion. So, so let me let me set the let me set the tone here for just a moment. Yeah. We go to the doctor. I go to the doctor, and you know, obviously, I've I'm a lot of material for a doctor mm-hmm. to, to you know. So, doctor, what's the, what should I do? And and the doctor says, you know, you should lose weight. Okay, I I already know that, but <laughs> what you're telling me is as if 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 I go to the doctor and ask, you know, what should I do because I can't walk ten feet without getting winded, and the doctor tells me, well, based on my medical experience and and understanding of the way the human body works, you really should drop a hundred pounds. What you're saying is the equivalent is, and then I I would then complain to get that doctor fired for giving me advice that I didn't like. Yeah. So the, I've had some patients complain, yes. And that that to me is the most horrifying thing of all. You, you asked my opinion. I, I gave it to you. And you don't have to do anything with it. Like you asked. Why would you that's, ask if you didn't want to know? But think about where this goes. Those parents that, that do that, I, you know, I feel badly for them because they're working under a lot of fear also. And they're also working under this this huge umbrella of propaganda that they've bought into, you know, they really are. And they ultimately, are. where does this go in medicine? But, but let me take that one step mm-hmm. further here, because this is the insanity of the system. If I went to complain about my doctor giving me the advice that losing 100 pounds is going to be what, what really I should do, they would laugh me out of the room. You can't file a complaint against your doctor for giving that advice. It's good, sound advice based on their medical opinion. How did we get to the point where we've got a system that allows people people to come in and make these kind of complaints to threaten your professional license? Every day I ask myself that. How in the world have we gotten here? I, you know, I this is so, and it's not it's not just me. Of course, it's it's all across the nation. So. I have a colleague, for example, I have a copy of a letter. She was, she was ultimately fired for her clinic. But the letter that came to her before they fired her said, we need you to adhere to improved behaviors. And by improved behaviors, they specifically were referring to the fact that she needed to say safe and effective when it came to the COVID-19 vaccine for children. And when she refused and when she continued to have informed consent discussions with parents, they ultimately fired her. So think about where this road leads us. This leads us down a road that if we continue down this, that your physician will be nothing more than a mouthpiece for the employer, the regulatory agencies, the pharmaceutical companies, all these conflicts of interest that will basically tell your physician what they do and what they can and can't say in a room with you. Like it no longer becomes a visit with me and my patient, just the two of us having a conversation or or in my case with the parents and the patient having a conversation in the best interest of that child, it turns into all these other people in the room with us, these other influences, these conflicts of interest. And this does not go anywhere good if we continue down this path. Um, Whatever happened to the term, let's get a second opinion or a third opinion. 
right now, when it comes to discussing anything related to COVID, completely taboo. We can't talk about it. We can't speak about it. And that should scare every one of us. Every one of us has to fix that. Now, I'd I'd like to ask a personal question about your current status of employment. You you refuse to take the vaccine, correct? I refuse to show my vaccine papers to my employer in Washington State. And let me tell you why. Again, my family fled from communism. My family fled from a terrible system where they had to show their papers at every step of the way. And there is no way in this world that their daughter living here as an American was ever going to have to show her papers and comply with what absolutely was tyrannical behavior. We knew at the time that I refused to show my employer my papers uh, that this did not stop transmission, that this did not stop uh, the spread. Why then is my employer telling me what I have to do with my health? How does that make me any different than a slave? It makes me a modern day slave if I listen to my employer and I do, I inject into my body what they tell me I have to inject. How is that any different than a horrible, you know, plantation owner on a slave with a slave that they owned who would go down there and, you know, do a medical procedure on that slave without their consent? Informed consent cannot be obtained from someone if you force them or coerce them or otherwise threaten them into doing something. So, I wrote a letter to my employer that I don't think they uh, cared for, but uh, I waited to send that to them until after the deadline had passed. So they sent me a deadline. It was in the fall of last year, fall of 2021. I had until such and such a date to turn in my vaccine papers and prove that I was vaccinated for COVID-19. And I refused. I said, no. So I didn't send it in. They pulled me from a fully booked clinic. I was booked for four Plus weeks out, my partner had just recently left. So I, I was completely booked, perfectly healthy in the middle of a pandemic. I'm not sick. I could have continued to provide care to patients. They just disappeared me from the clinic. My patients have no idea where I went to this day. I'm sure most of them have no clue. Pulled me from my clinic because I didn't do this. And so then I sent my letter and they gave me several months to comply before they would fire me. I said, well, that's easy because I will never comply. I will never comply with tyranny. We are not doing this. I'm not doing this just for my freedom. I'm doing this for the freedom of every single patient out there. Whether you chose this vaccine or you didn't, it has, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. My vaccine status remains my own information. I may or may not have had the COVID-19 vaccine. That's my personal information, but I will not share my, my papers with you as a condition of employment. Good for you. Good for you. And then they fired you. And then they fired me. And then they fired you. They fired a physician. Perfect. Again, I've had a, I trained at a top medical school. I've had a clean patient care record. No lawsuits against me. I'm not saying that to be, I'm just setting the background for my, my history. So this had nothing to do with patient care. I had enjoyed being there. Otherwise, they had enjoyed having me as far as, you know, my reports were good. Uh, this was egregious and wrong. We just do not do this in America. So when you, the listener, when you hear the newspapers and the news stations report that no doctors aren't really getting fired. They, they wouldn't do that. The, the medical professionals who, who stood in the front line of this battle before we had any therapeutic pr- protections and, and 
treated the patients who were dying. They are heroes. We we flew the the Blue Angels and and uh, the the Air Force jets over the cities in celebration of all of these medical professionals who risked their life for the safety of America. No, none of them were actually fired for standing on their their morals and saying, I'm not going to show you my papers. I'm not going to take this vaccine. When you hear a news agency saying that, that's called gaslighting. That's the big lie. It's a lie. Yeah, it's an absolute lie. I have many, many colleagues around the country that did the very same thing. You know, men, mostly men, but men and women both, you know, died for our freedom. How many, how many people died on foreign shores so that we could be free? We are only free if we live as free people. Amen. We have to act free or we have no freedom. And that, it was such an easy stand for me to take. Now, I, I love my career. I have loved, I'm going to start to get tearful again. I've loved taking care of patients my entire career. Here, I'm going to get tearful. But this just is so upsetting. I love my career, but I will give it up in a heartbeat for freedom. God bless you for doing that. Dr. Moon, is there any final thoughts you'd like to share with the listener? We need everyone in this. In this. This, is a, this is an epic uh, war against our freedom, against everything that we hold dear for this country, for, for being an American. And we need everyone to engage and to turn this around. This has got to stop. We have already had huge chunks of our freedom taken from us, just, just given away in the name of fear. And we need to stop that. This needs to stop. And that means that the listener needs to not comply with a lot of the stuff that's happening that clearly is just tyrannical government overreach. I never thought I would be in a position where I would ever be saying this. If you'd asked me five or 10 years ago, never would have believed it. But here we are in America today. Every listener, please, please engage in your local community. You need to be active. You need to bring kids in and help them right now through what has been a horrible time to be a teenager and a child growing up. You know, help support the kids in your neighborhood. Help get them away from these these monstrous gadgets that are teaching them all sorts of terrible things let them live you know good happy lives help them with that become involved in your libraries let's get these these um you know again we're the library situation is is tricky right because we don't want to curtail freedom of speech but there is a difference between freedom of speech for adults and pumping propaganda and pornography and just absolutely horrible things that our nation's kids during an impressionable stage of their development. So we need everyone engaged in whatever way you can in your community, and we need to fight for our freedom. Well, Dr. Moon, thank you so much for coming on. God bless you. Thank you for all you've done for our community. Thank you for having me. We've reached the end of the episode, but not the end of the issue. Please share this episode with your friends and family. If you have questions or would like to share your own issues and ideas, visit www.idahospeaks.com and click Share an Issue. Your state, your voice, Idaho Speaks.